This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your source of information about interdimensional exploration. Tonight, we're actually doing a review of a podcast we've already released, uh, the one that Blix recorded at TotalCon. Blix, you were there with a number of other role-playing writers and designers. Could you tell some, us something about those guys that you were with? Three guests that we had on there were uh, Jay Libby, James Carpio, and John Sushenberger. Jay Libby, he runs Dilly Green Bean Games. He's done some work with Fusion uh, with uh, Artel Sorian. I think he did some stuff with the Doctor, the new Doctor Who game. And he, he runs his own system as well. He has a bunch of books out for his own stuff. I, oh, and he's also a really good friend of mine, so I invited him to be on the panel. And then James Carpio, he's sort of in the same line. He's done some fusion stuff. He's done some of his own stuff. He runs a company called Chapter 13 Press. He did some writing for a Syl- Sylvan magazine. He just recently got a Savage Worlds license, and he's going to be working with us to take the world that he's done and include Fringeworthy into it officially. So he's our first collaboration for Fringeworthy Savage Worlds. The other guy, uh, John Sussenberger, he's just a friend of ours. He did one book that he did some work with. He worked with Jay Libby on a book. But other than that, he's just a super avid gamer. He's one of those guys that, that we like to call a gaming architect. He hasn't developed anything professionally, but you know a lot of his, his personal stuff is professional level quality. So I figured those three guys would be great for the show. Well, great. You paused it as your topic. You wanted to get their take on interdimensional explorations or an interdimensional role-playing game. Right. You just pretty much threw out the idea saying, hey, if you guys were going to create an interdimensional role-playing game, what would the issues be and, and how would you go about doing it? Right. In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever. An ancient portal system to millions of worlds. Built by a civilization of advanced alien beings, now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war, he will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find the wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. He will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Meller. Fringeworthy, the tabletop game of interdimensional adventure, is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. Travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own or invent your own. Check out the French Woody Podcast at tritaxsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, 
the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritacsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million, million worlds await you. Music by Ernster, available on iTunes. What's the best system? There was no big surprises there, I thought, Blix. <laughs> no, not really. Everybody basically loved their own favorite system. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of the fact we were talking about Fringeworthy, our interdimensional exploration, they still love their own system. Right. Yeah. I, I, I did see that Savage Worlds was a hit with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, they said it was easy to run and modular, mm-hmm. which was also true of Fusion Blocks. Right. I'm familiar with Fusion, but not with Fusion Blocks. Or, yeah. Fusion Blocks is something that Jay Libby made up. It's, it's one of his products. If you're not familiar with Dilly Green Bean game stuff, then you probably wouldn't be familiar with it. But it's, it's basically like package deals and stuff. Right. Yeah. The one I thought was the most interesting after hearing him describe it was the one who liked Fate. Fate, yes. Oh, yeah. Because Fate operates off of what they call aspects. They're, they're simply describing the character as the things that he's kind of good at or things that he likes or the way he operates, and it really doesn't describe the skills that he has. Well, it depends on the fate. I've played Diaspora and uh-huh. I've played uh, Star Blazers. They actually are skills Okay, you, you can have. There's, a, there's actually a skill tree. The aspects are used to get you a bonus on your skills. Okay. I have the aspect of Hotshot Space Pilot. So when I'm doing a piloting space role, I maybe I'll tag that and get a bonus to my role to do that task. So it, it doesn't actually overcome the whole thing about skills having to be specific to a game because when you go from world to world, a lot of times the skills that you need change from world to world. Mm-hmm. A game that was operating more primarily through aspects would sound like you could surmount that a little bit better than something that had very specific skill descriptions. But you're saying not. Yeah, it would be more like PDQ or Wushu. Wushu okay. definitely is nothing but aspects. So in this case, we were talking about blending skills. You get their good aspects, you get their bad aspects, right. as well as your skill. You use a skill tree where you only have one pinnacle skill at, at the highest level defined by the system. And then you got two lower, then three lower, then four lower, then maybe five lower, or maybe not. Well, still, I think that what it shows us is that it doesn't really matter which system you play Fringeworthy with or mm-hmm. Bureau 13 or anything else, that as long as the players like the system and the GM you know, is, is proficient in it, that you can build great adventures, though they may run differently depending upon the strengths or weaknesses of the mm-hmm. particular system. So that's good news. Even though we're promoting certain systems, we can still, with a, an honest promotion say you can play fringeworthy with anything because you know, the concept of the game transcends system attributes mm-hmm. and i like that i mean there are people out there who say you should only play the game with a system that is built to really promote the things that you're trying to bring across in your game if you're a good game master you can bend you can make the rules and bend them until they scream if you're that good of a game master and you know a system that well, 
you can do just about anything. Yeah, I hear you. But remember when they came out with the Dresden files? I mean, there was a whole lot of buzz about, okay, what system are they going to use to do this game with? Because they better not use the wrong system. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people out there that are concerned about that, that this is, is something that they think is important. And I don't want to say that they're wrong because obviously if you optimize a system for a particular kind of gameplay in a particular kind of situation, you're going to get a superior result. Just like if you're able to cherry pick a set of actors for a particular movie, you're going to get probably exactly the product that you were looking for. I personally don't think that that means that you have to do it that way. And I don't think that that necessarily is a long-term plan of action. Yeah. Just like when you play a board game, it has very specific rules because you're not going to be playing that game all kinds of different ways. There's one way to play that game. Yes. But in a role-playing game, I'm not sure that that's true. I don't really ever ever felt that way about any role-playing game I've ever played. Mm. Mm. Dogs in the Vineyard really works with the system can't really see it being used except maybe it maybe with fate maybe with wushu not with gurps not with savage worlds right you know also there's a game out there called urchin it is married bolted and otherwise attached to its system and you really can't do it with anything else and so if that's the game you want to play the specific goals of the game it does that very well is what you're saying yes if you wanted to take that same game and then say, okay, and then the aliens arrive, everybody goes up and becomes space pilots, then all of a sudden this game system doesn't support that. No. To me, whenever you have a campaign that's as open-ended as Fringeworthy or even Bureau 13, having a game system married too closely to specific gameplay, I think is actually counterproductive. Yes, I, I agree. I played Diaspora. I would love to use a system to, to do Frenchworthy with because it works well with it. It has a world construction system that would be very good for Frenchworthy. We could probably talk forever about, is there a perfect system? Is it possible to take the best of all the systems out there and not trying to make money at it, just building it together, turn out the Uber system that would just do everything perfectly? Everybody I've talked to basically says no. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. At some point, you're going to try to do something and realize, oh, it doesn't do this. Okay, Carol, now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for All Games Considered, since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey, she's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold any for Best Gaming Podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey, now, now, there's more than that. There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and news shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But, but no, no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. Blix, you ran the show. Is there anything else we haven't covered that you thought was really interesting? We talked about the negatives of running an interdimensional game. I think some of the things that 
they mentioned are things that are not necessarily bad. You know, they're bad if you let them be bad. Like, for example, there was the no consistency. Well, there can be if you run it that way. Losing NPCs, you know, because one of the guys said his players really love NPCs to be involved in whatever they're doing. And then if you're going to different worlds all the time and jumping around, you're going to lose those NPCs. You're not going to maintain contact with them. But again, that's not necessarily true. If you really want to you know, involve those NPCs, then they can be involved. It's just a matter of what the players and the game master does. You know, the the no good currency was brought up, you know, like, like you can't bring dollar bills with you. Gold doesn't work everywhere either. Right, right. That is a negative, but in a lot of ways it's a positive as well because it enriches your gaming experience. It makes you think on your feet better. You know, none of the negatives that they that they mentioned were I don't really find them as negatives, but maybe that's just because I've played Fringeworthy so much that all the things that we've encountered are no longer negatives for us because we know how to get around them. Well, I think they're good cautionary things. I think they're things right. that if you're not careful about, they can become detractions yeah. to your game. Okay, yeah, you know? sure, sure. I know in our game, once we had like maybe four or five worlds that they had explored, all of a sudden they were like, well, we got this problem. Let's go back to world number two because there was something there that could really help us here. Then you go back and you talk to those NPCs and you come back. But if you play every single world as a sandbox, you'll run into that losing the NPCs because as soon as you leave, the roll the credits, all those guest stars go home and you never see them again. Yep, the extras take a paycheck and go off and do something else. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. I think the no consistency was the fact, again, to the issue of people who want to play just one genre... Right. And they don't want to keep changing genres. Well, I would say that since we're pretty much saying that Fringeworthy is kind of a cross-genre game, that's going to be a reason why you're not going to want to play it. That's going to be a deal killer there. If you don't like chocolate in your peanut butter, well... Then don't eat a Reese's cup. (laughs) I understand. I can appreciate that. That's okay. There. After five long years, my latest invention is complete. Surely it will revolutionize personal transportation for decades to come. Hey, what are you in here? Get get away from there! You stupid simian sociopath! Don't touch that! Ah, monkeys took my jetpack! Monkeys took my jetpack. At mtmjetpack.com And the currency it was an interesting issue. And it's true. I mean, they're absolutely right. There's always that problem, and, and you were right that mostly people bring around a certain amount of gold and precious gems and some aluminum, because that's almost always valuable in pre-industrial worlds. Right. If you can convince somebody that, that it's actually a good thing, because they're like, well, it's really light, but man, look at it bend. That's no good. We can't make any weapons out of it. or you know. <laughs> right. And you have to have someone who's smart enough to realize that you're holding more aluminum that's in a refined state that probably exists anywhere else in the world. Right. The George Washington Memorial is capped with an aluminum pyramid because it was extremely valuable at the time. Right. That's good adventure design, good campaign design to say, hey, don't keep smacking people into the fact that there's no good gold. I think it's better to say, look, most worlds you go to, you know, you should carry this stuff and it's going to be okay. And then every once in a while, surprise them, where you go to a world where they have nothing but computer credits. Right. Yeah. There is no real money. Uh, I had one world where the only credit there was was man hours. 
ask somebody to do something, he'd say, okay, I need to debit your account for like a quarter hour. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, it means about 5.30 today, you better be showing up here to go clean up my store because otherwise you're not getting that pair of pants. John, were you telling us about the country of people that they own a rock? That's their currency? And like some of them are even underwater? Oh, yeah. There's people that actually have these giant stones. The stones are, are not used to buy things. They're used to buy brides. Okay. But they, they represent man hours, right? They represent labor because it takes so long to carve the stone or something like that. No, in this case, a lot of them are, are inherited. Usually, the guy's got his father's stone who got it from his father, who got it from his father, who got it from his father hmm. type thing. I know what you're talking about, John. The, the point is that these stones are so valuable that they act as a basis for currency. Yeah. So you can say, hey, I want to do this. And of course, if I renege, then you get my stone. And the guy's like, well, okay, that's a great deal for me, you know, because I, I'm going to keep an eye on you, but I, I'm going to trust you that you're not going to renege on me. It's like, like the story of the guy who had the $1,000 pound note, mm-hmm. and everybody just kept putting everything on account for him because they couldn't cash it. But it was still a legitimate bill, so they were perfectly willing to give him credit toward it, thinking that someday someone's going to show up with enough money to actually break the bill down and everyone would get paid. Right. right. The basis of money. If money is based on man hours, are all man hours worth the same? Right. No, they, they wouldn't be. The guy said that because the guy didn't have any skills that he was interested in. Yeah. He wasn't part of the system, so he didn't have a man hour credit shit thing where he could say, yeah. well, I'm doing this, and that's worth X number of man hours. We're a society, so we trade the man hours around for what you, know, what you really need. I mean, if you go and buy a... Uh, a stereo. Okay, well, there was so many man hours used in digging the ore. There was so many man hours used in refining that ore. There were so many man hours used in constructing the chassis and putting the parts together. So when you're done, you may be trading out man hours for maybe a thousand people. Right. Or or think about think about Star Trek where you know you show up with gold and they're like, I can replicate that. I can replicate a million pounds of that. You have nothing that I need. Right. Well, it's yes. like when I did the the podcast, wow, almost a year ago, on adventuring in 5th to 11th century Africa, and the Muslims came upon cities with gold everywhere. The pets were wearing gold collars. To them, gold was nothing. It was decoration. It was accenting on their buildings. The Muslims came down, and their jaws hit the sand. Yeah. Pretty baubles. Okay, this should be good. Well, don't forget, they do have Tommy guns, which aren't exactly known for their... (laughs) Oh, that's true, that's true. They could be intending to shoot it up. Okay, that's good. I like that. (laughs) Glad you like it. (laughs) I ain't all that enthused about it myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You think you got problems? I'm from Iowa. (laughs) Nobody from Iowa talks like this. It's funny. I I always took him for the bookish type, you know? (laughs) Yeah, impromptu barnstorming. <laughs> I meant to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Mark's a nice GM. Yeah. There aren't going to be any problems. Come on. <laughs> you don't know me very well, do you? The Gutter Skypes. The worst world ever to find is the world where gold is common as dirt. 
Because if you're a French word, you go, okay, it's like dirt. All right. I got I got a wheelbarrow. I'm gonna fill it with I'm gonna fill it with some of this dirt and take it back home with me. I did that in another <laughs> con game where it was one of the portal books where El Dorado was there and the Swiss mm-hmm. were coming to conquer it because the Spaniards and the Indians. My three players, my daughter, the former neighbor boy, and one of my Saturday gamers were at this con and I ran this game. They said if we take 200 pounds of gold, if we get two 100-pound statues from these people and we take it back to our world, they sat there and computed it out, found out like 19, whatever, I think it was 1983 gold prices. They just took the gold that was like all over the place. They took it back through the fringe path to their world and they were, I ended the game with them retiring wealthy. <laughs> right. Next thing that will happen is A, someone say, so where'd you get it from? And they tell them. And at that point, world gold prices drop like a rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, we, we made it a given in our campaign that you're not going to be able to bring any money back. The best that's going to happen is IDET will take that gold and stockpile it somewhere and use it to buy stuff that's necessary on one world to help another world. It never comes back to Earth economy. Or fund travelers who need it for a certain adventure. It becomes a resource that's used purely for the, the, the goals of the game, but it's never used to actually directly enrich player characters. Yeah. Because of the fact is it would, you know, I mean, why, why would you want to bring back something that's going to totally disrupt world economy? I mean, you're not out there to do bad things like that. Oh, but, but looking how prices fluctuate, the simple knowledge that there's a world out there where gold is dirt would just destroy the economy as it is. So you, if you find it, you're going to have to keep your mouth shut. Yeah, maybe I don't know, John. That's the <laughs> no gold price. No, I hate to say it, but unfortunately, the financial market. But you know, watching the financial market just for the price of oil to, these days is like you, you, someone gets a sniffle. Prices go up and down. The gold market would probably do the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah, John, you got a little bit too much reality in your game. Okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I like that. So you don't do that in your game. All kinds of bad things like that could happen in your game if you want to, but you're just torpedoing the satisfaction of your players when you do that. Unless you've got players who want to come back and destroy the Earth, in which case, yeah, there's lots of opportunities. Oh, but, play with doing that. Yeah, so. Just, just find a great goo Earth and come back with a jar full of stuff. Yeah, no, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. So, Okay, so. All right. All right. Well, hey. I think we covered it. Yep. Yep, yep. Anything else you want to mention, Trav? Oh, who controls? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, right, right. We want to talk about that? Yeah, because, well, we know who controls it in Fringeworthy, but who controls it, say, in Bureau 13? Well, the the quasi uh, Bureau 13 Central Command. Or uh, crazy scientists. Yeah, there's that thought there. The one guy talked about, you know, having like a magic world where they were using magic to travel from world to world to different dimensions and having a magical agency. Now, there's no reason why you couldn't include that in French where, you know, we've already determined that you can travel to other dimensions on things other than the portals. And this would actually be really kind of uh, kind of a neat thing to do to have an alternate group of people traveling around. It's like, man, we keep running into these guys. I've never seen them on the French pads. You know, uh, the one guy had picked up a crystal. He wasn't even fringe-worthy. Right. He was talking about having like a wizard's academy or something, having control of the group. But I think the consensus was that most of them wanted to have some level of control over the travel, not having it just be willy-nilly. Right. 
The willy-nilly part was thought of as a benefit to prevent the player characters from being able to have too much damaging effects on a world. As long as you keep right. moving them along, they can't pollute an area too badly. Right. Yeah, you have to protect your universe from the players. Right, exactly. Because, you know, you yeah. come in and you start passing around all kinds of forbidden knowledge and, you know, you 100 years from now, you get to change everything. Oh, yeah. If you look at Encounters in Bureau 13, that's a, it's a common happenstance to have dimensional portals open up and things come out. Sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how they get half their equipment. Yeah. The other half of it comes from the Fringeworthy. Well, no, no, I think the other half comes in from the aliens that show up all the time, but, you know. That, well, that too. Yeah. It's, it's a rich source of incompatible technology. Oh, that yeah. Rick is trying to cobble together to make something that works, yeah. Yeah. So we got this, we got this uh, shiny device over here. Over here we have this Tremelum device. Let's see if we can put them together and see what happens. <laughs> hey, why are you all leaving? Wait a minute, where are you going? Hey, yeah. this will is- <laughs> Boom. <laughs> nah, it, they come back and the room is full to the top with whip topping. Right. And where's the investigator? Then you realize what the whip topping is made from. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. I'm never eating Cool Whip again. Thank you, John. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't. It's not, you know, it's non dairy. You, 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 you don't want to know what it's made out of. <laughs> Okay, we we here at Tri Attack are not bad mouthing the makers of Cool Whip. Let's just get that straight right off the bat. That's right. I like Cool Whip. Yeah. <laughs> hydrogenated oils, yum. Hey, you know, if it wasn't for hydrogenated oils, we wouldn't have half the products in our world. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's like it's like my former roommate said, cholesterol, which makes the yeah. food taste good. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> what well, is? It's the fats what makes food taste good <laughs> most of the time. All right. Well, I want to thank our other hosts again for being on the TriTech podcast as we had our little uh, look over at the fine things that Blix was able to do at TotalCon. I really want to encourage all of our guest hosts and our, our regular hosts that when they go to conventions and you get a chance to actually be on a panel and discuss Fringeworthy or other type topics like this that you record it so that we can share this with our listeners who are always looking for more and better ways to enhance their games. Hopefully, their Fringeworthy games and their Bureau 13 and all the other products produced by TriTac Games. Yeah, I'd like to thank you guys for uh, peeing on the uh, the podcast, you know, if, if you're listening to this. Uh, it, was, it was great. It was great to have you on. Yeah. And we would love to have you on our regular episode anytime you'd like to come on. Thanks again for listening to us, and we'll have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.